Hand washing and constant hygiene may be in our lives to stay, but that doesn't mean you have to resort to harsh industrial grade hand sanitizer imported from who knows where. Forcefieldproducts.com has hand sanitizer and all natural protective barrier products that nourish your skin while providing essential antibacterial protection. And it's manufactured right here in the U.S. Forcefieldproducts.com has hand sanitizers to use when you can't wash your hands and protective barrier gels and spritz products for extra protection after washing. All of our premium products have been hand formulated with essential oils that are proven in studies to provide extra immunity barrier protection while nourishing the skin. Forcefieldproducts.com has the products for you and your family to be confident in your health and hygiene. Use discount code BRUNO for 10% off to purchase your hand sanitizer and protective barrier products at forcefieldproducts.com. That's forcefieldproducts.com discount code BRUNO. Forcefieldproducts.com discount code BRUNO. Hey, this is Patrick Maher. On the latest edition of Sports from the Sidelines, I caught up with the bad boy Detroit Pistons. Here's what John Sally had to say about his teammate, Isaiah Thomas. I played with MJ, Kobe, played against the greatest. I tell people all the time, the greatest player I've ever played with was Isaiah. Michael is the man. He took on so much, but Isaiah is 6'1", dude, and will take over a game. Catch sports from the sidelines on the bad boy Pistons anytime and anywhere you go on the SiriusXM app. Thanks, coronavirus, for shutting down our gyms. That's okay. My new gym is my home gym. And to make sure that aches and pains don't keep me down, I I use ghost sleeves to recover from injuries. Ghost sleeves are the only compression sleeves with built-in kinesiology tape. The same tape used by physical therapists, doctors, and trainers to help you recover from injuries. Just pull on a ghost sleeve and speed up your recovery without a doctor, ibuprofen, or ice. Visit ghostsleeves.com and use discount code RADIO for 20% off. Ghostsleeves.com, discount code RADIO. There are those who stand forever ready. Ready to defend the nation. Ready to fight for what matters. No matter what. Do you have what it takes? Find out at GoArmy.com slash Warriors. The Tony Bruno Show. Tony Bruno and Harry Mays on Sirius XM Channel 211. I might be the only sports host who was hired during the no sports lockdown, which clearly means I'm an essential service. Join me Monday through Friday where we help you escape the monotony and bring a little levity and entertainment into your lives. Great interviews, lots of laughs. We will bring you everything you need and want to know. Catch new episodes of the Tony Bruno Show with Harry Mays. Weekday afternoon starting at 3 Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. Telemedicine is necessary today, and if you're underinsured, undocumented, or without health insurance, here's your opportunity to learn how you can secure access for you and your entire family. Go right now to ondoc.com. That's on-doc.com. Get 24-hour access to ondoc healthcare services for just $30 a month. Go right now to ondoc.com. That's on-doc.com. This program is not insurance coverage and not intended to replace insurance. We'd all like to get out of our homes a bit more and when we do washing our hands and using hand sanitizer will be critical for safety you can count on forcefieldproducts.com for top quality hand sanitizer and all natural protective barrier products manufactured right here in the u.s we offer super portable one ounce hand sanitizer pump bottles up to supersized pump bottles for home and office and protection against dry skin visit forcefieldproducts.com and use discount code radio for 10 percent off today forcefield.com discount code radio 
Hey, this is Tony Bruno. Be a part of my new show weekday starting at 3 p.m. Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio, Sirius XM Channel 211, and on the Sirius XM app. Let's go to Indianapolis, Indiana, Harry, where Indiana wants me, but I can't go back there. Another one of the great songs, and a man who's silent this weekend, former broadcaster. He still was a broadcaster for a long time. He works with the IRL. He's one of the turn callers at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And this is the weekend, Harry, where they would be hearing, gentlemen, start your engines, but it's not going to happen because it's been moved from Memorial Day until August. And Jack Query joins us from Indianapolis where it don't rain in the summertime. Jack, how are you, man? Jake. Jake, I'm I sorry. We're not going to get Jack. That's because I had Jack just on, and he's him still. I've been called worse, Tony. You know, when, you're, when your first name ends with a consonant and your last name begins with a consonant, I've been called Jay Query. Jake Wary, I've heard it all. So Jack is cool. You can call me Jack. No, no, it's Jack Jake. I know it's Jake. Not Jake from State Farm. By the way, what are you wearing, Jake, if, if you can tell us? Uh, you're wearing any kind Jackie's of... Jackie's in a red polo, brother. Jackie's <laughs> in a red polo. I thought you'd be wearing, like, racing... You know, you'd have on, like, a, a Mario Andretti uniform or something, or something from the pit crew. You know, in the old days, which wasn't long ago, my first two years working for IndyCar Radio when I was in the pits, we have to wear a fire suit, which isn't bad. Until you go to Texas and it's 95 degrees, 100 degrees, it's a little warm. But being in the turns, man, it's the best place to be because I'm way up at the top of the northeast fist of the Dallas Motor Speedway. There's a little breeze coming through. It's comfortable. But it would be quiet this weekend. Yeah, so how weird is that for you? I mean, you do the IRL stuff, so the racing is going to happen. But we already see NASCAR has been back, you know, with a couple of races, too, in Darlington and Charlotte Motor Speedway. So why, why did the IRL, why did open car racing, and I know a lot of it's in Europe when you're talking about you know, the, the, the Monza Grand Prix like and Grand all that. Prix and yeah. Things, yeah, but the, the IRL in this country, why did they wait so long before they decided to do anything? Well, I don't know that you could say that they waited too long because they made their announcement within about five minutes of when NASCAR made their announcement in March. So, you know, there's a lot of fluidity that goes into it. I mean, obviously, with the Indianapolis 500, Tony, you know, you're talking about the largest single-day spectator sport in the world yep. and the possibility of, Depending on, you know, the figures and for the 100th running, there were easily over 350,000 people. And the average year, there's probably 285,000 there. So when the NTT IndyCar Series season was scheduled to begin in the middle of March, literally the Rudy Gobert announcement came, I think it was on a Thursday, and then we went down to St. Petersburg for what was supposed to be the first race of the year. And they did one practice session on Friday morning, and then... And I don't know, it would be out of school for me to say that they worked in alignment with NASCAR, but those were the last two series, to your point, really to announce that everything was going to be shelved. And those, those two announcements came within five or ten minutes of one another. And at that point, IndyCar announced that all of their events, St. Petersburg, through the month of April, would be put on hold, and that the first event would be the IndyCar Grand Prix, which typically is the first event for the month of May, leading up and culminating with the Indy 500 on Memorial Day weekend. So I think they wanted to buy themselves time because you're talking about such a huge amount of people right. and so many festivities that take place within this city. So they wrote it out to see exactly what would happen in terms of you know all the phrases we're familiar with now, right? Flattening the curve and the social distancing. Yep. And then I think they just made the decision once they knew that it wasn't going to be possible in May because they want to get fans there is the bottom line. They want to be able to run it with fans in the no, I hear you, and I wasn't trying to rip the IRL, or you, Jake. I mean, that's not my style, as you know, even though you're not following me on Twitter, which I find even more reprehensible. That's a violation. 
I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. They oh. changed it from the IRL to the NTT IndyCar Series in 2008. So if you call it the IndyCar Series, I'll hit the follow button. All right, all right, IndyCar Series. I always that's that's always the IRL to me. You know what I mean? You know, I'm old it's, school. It's very common. That's very common. <laughs> Hey, Jake, uh, how did they arrive at August the 23rd for, for the running of the Indy 500? Is there any, any, you know, anything Science? special with that weekend or, you know, in Indianapolis? That's a great question. No, I think what it was was they simply, you know, it used to be that the Brickyard 400, the NASCAR event, would run in August. Mm-hmm. And they moved that last year, having nothing to do with the COVID stuff, to July 4th. So you had an open date there. And I think what it came down to was trying to figure out because, of the, you know, this is, the Indianapolis 500 is one of 19 events on the schedule. So, you know, the, the real challenge, I think, in sports, guys, is to your point when you were talking about leading into the segment with different states and different – and I get it. I mean, we are 50 states in this country. <clears throat> but you have to have uniformity to some extent on what states are allowing gatherings, what states are not. So that creates a fluid movement and try to maneuver the schedule around. So they went ahead and found that August date and then – out, and I don't know what dates they are, but they also have like three other weekends going all the way back into the middle of October that they continue to move it back if need be, depending on obviously what is a changing week-to-week process in determining when you can get that many people together in one spot. Talking with Jake uh, Query out there at Indianapolis. I still remember USAC, so I'm old school, man. In fact, you know what's interesting? It may not be interesting to you, but the very first sporting event that I ever went to live, well, it wasn't the first event live because I went to a couple of Phillies games at the old Connie Mack Stadium, but where I was actually in another city and went to see it was the 1969 Indianapolis 500 won by the great Mario Andretti. You remember that? A good one to be at, no question about it. Andy Granitelli gave him a big kiss at Victory Lane, and it's amazing. You know, Mario Andretti is obviously the most versatile accomplished race car driver in the world, probably. Yep. When you look at the fact that a Formula One champion at Daytona and Indy and everything else, but yet only got one at Indy. So, so many times, I mean, it's really kind of become a catchphrase in Indianapolis. You know, Mario is slowing down on the backstretch. Lady Luck just never really shined on Mario Andretti at Indianapolis. So, you know, that's one that is still highly, highly regarded and revered here because he is such you know, a popular figure and has become really kind of the class elder statesman in the face of open wheel racing, even still some quarter century after he's retired. And it's funny, we all remember those names. You know, the families with the Andrettis and the Unsers and, you know, Dallenbach, A.J. Foyt. You run off those names and it's like, I can't believe we're talking 50-something years ago. Well, I grew up near Reading, PA. Penske Racing yep, is absolutely. enormous. Absolutely. You know, that's where they were headquartered. You know, I think so much of it, guys, a lot of people ask about that. I mean, the Indianapolis 500 is still a civic holiday here in Indianapolis. But it's disingenuous to say that it holds the same national reverence, I think, that it did in, say, 1978. And there are a number of things that went into that. And a lot of it, I think, to be honest with you, and maybe this is just me trying in my mind to justify or validate that because I hold it so highly growing up here, but... You know, the automobile culture has waned within this country. I mean, in 1975, in Middle Earth America, what percentage of people made their livelihood in the auto industry, whether it be at a factory or whether it be selling cars or just working on them in their garage or or souping up their Dodge Charger to be faster than their buddy's Camaro, whatever it be? 
obviously, we've, you know, no one changes their own oil anymore, right? So the right. fascination with the innovation of the automobile has become such that now that it is basically, you're not seeing the speed records that you once did. You still have the pageantry, you still have the tradition, and you still have the colors. But everything that goes into, for a lot of people, their own personal connection to it, to the event, yes, but to the innovation, not so much. Talk with Jake Query. And, Jake, uh, I love the CBGB uh, shirt and the tan, man. How do you keep your tan in Indianapolis in the wintertime, man? Well, you know, these days I don't, Tony, because the spray tan places are all closed. Oh, that's an outrage. I'm dying. Get the governor on the phone, and I'll, I'll straighten that out. I know, man. I've been trying. But CBGB, how do you not like, you know, I mean, Sex Pistols and New York City. And, look, I love growing up in the Midwest. New York City and Greenwich Village and, for that matter, Philly. You know, those places were, they were like urban legends to us until you get to be the age to be able to travel and go and see other places. you got to love all the pop culture references throughout the great parts of this country. I was in that place once. That place is a, was a dump. Really, Harry? Yeah. yeah. Well, Harry doesn't like anything, Jake. No, I'm you just know, saying. No, it was no, like, no, it was, yeah, it was it wasn't really, a pretty place. It was not a pretty place at all. Yeah. Why do you well, need a pretty gone, place? Now. Yeah, it's long gone. Yeah, it's gone now, but I was in there. 20 years ago, probably. Now, speaking of collectibles, Jake, now, I was talking to our, our intern, the great uh, De- De- Caleb Matumbo <laughs> out there in Indianapolis, and you have something that is absolutely one of the most special things I've ever heard of, because, you know, I have some things here and there, but I don't, I'm not an autograph collector per se, but you have a, a helmet, an IndyCar helmet, autographed by how many of the Indianapolis 500 champions over the years? Well, it's funny, Tony, because I, as you know, and for those listening, when you work in media and you are a credentialed media member, autographs are the most taboo thing, right? right. I mean, that's, that comes with, the, you know, it's on your credential, no autographs. But being around it and being around a lot of the drivers away from the racetrack and away from weekends, I had this idea back in 2012, what if I were to buy an authentic racing helmet and see if I can get it signed by every winner of the Indy 500? So I told my mom of this idea, and she said, every living winner? And I said, well, yeah, Mom, I'm not going to get Ray Haroon to sign it, right? He's no longer with us. <laughs> so at that time, I think there were 29 men walking the planet that had won the Indy 500. And as I was contemplating whether or not to spend the money in this racing store to buy the helmet, Mario Andretti walked in. So I thought, okay, this is my, that's my sign, right, to go ahead and do this. So Mario was the first. And I managed, and not very long amount of time. And I mean, you've got guys that live, you know, Jacques Villeneuve lives out near Monaco, and Emerson Fittipaldi lives in Brazil, and Danny Sullivan lives out on the West Coast in California. Not many of them come back to Indianapolis on the regular. But just through happenstance, I was able to cross paths with everybody within like two and a half years. And since then, obviously, there have been new winners. Takuma Sato won it in 2017, and it's pretty cool because he signed his signature in Japanese. Will Power in 2018. Um, And so, you know, what I've been able to do is just, and then last year, Simon Pagano, after the race, now the drivers, because I'm around them all the time, know, hey, if you win the race, you got to sign my helmet. So there's 33 living winners at the Indy 500, and all 33 are on the helmet. Wow. That's pretty cool. What do you think? I know you're not going to sell it, because that's something that's a keepsake, and it's, you know, there's no price that you could put on it. But does anybody offer Because I have a John Lennon autograph, and people that know, they offer me thousands of dollars for it, and I'm not going to sell it, because it's a yeah, rare autograph, cool. and he personalized it to me. So, But when you have things that are special like that, I mean, is that something you pass on, or because you're not going to sell? Do you put it on display? How do you let people see that baby? Because if I had that, I'd have that baby right in the window, and then somebody would come in with a sledgehammer and steal the window it. Yeah, and exactly. steal it. Yeah. You know what's funny about that is, during the course of getting the signatures, 
a couple of them expressed, hey, you know, I'm always uncomfortable with this because I know you're going to try to sell it. So I had Bobby Rahal, who's the 86 winner. I had him sign it to Jake so that I could, because he was one of the early signers, so that I could then show it to everybody else and say, See, look, I had it personalized so you know about selling it. So mm-hmm. I do not have kids. Um, I just kind of have it, to be honest with you, like in a closet, and I break it out once a year when somebody wins. You know, I don't know what else to do with it. But I've already talked to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum, which is on the grounds of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yep. I've talked to them to tell them that when my time comes, whether that's, you know, a month from now, and it would be really eerie if it is a month from now and you can play this interview, or 30 years from now, whatever it may be, but it will ultimately go on display with the Speedway Museum. Because I don't even think they have one with that many winners signs, signing it, do they? I don't know that they do. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I've, and of course, the challenge becomes once drivers ultimately pass away, right? So everyone that's on it currently is still living. And then, you know, that, that will not always, unfortunately, be the case, goes without saying. There are obviously a lot of collectors that have a lot of different things and people that collect things over the years. Strangely enough, Tony, I didn't know this. Guys, but supposedly when you get multiple, I'm not a sports memorabilia, you know, collectible guy per se. But I guess sometimes when you get multiple people on something, it devalues it. That seems mm. odd to me. But yeah. Um, so for right now, you can say it's every living winner. But once, unfortunately, someone passes away, then it just becomes a winner that happens to have 33 winners on, or right. a helmet that has 33 winners on. Well, right. you know, because the guys who sell it for a business, they go and get the one autograph. And then they say, see, I got an autographed, and they'll get a HOF on there if it's a Hall of Famer, and then the value goes through the roof. But when it's somebody who, that, you know, who, who wants to cherish this stuff, has great memories because you've been around, that's, that's even more special. So I, 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 I give you a lot of kudos for that, man, because people just think about how much is this worth. By the way, how much is it worth? Do you know, did you get it appraised? Did you take it to the guys, the, uh, the guys in Vegas over there on the, on the what's the Las Vegas you know, pawn? Oh, yeah. The pawn shop over there? Yeah, kid. pawn stars, those guys. Did you take it to, what's the guy's name, the, uh, the heavy set guy? What's his name? Oh, Chumley. Chumley. He always has to make a phone call. Let yeah. me call my buddy. He's an expert. Yeah, no, Chumley you know, doesn't have to make, even the guy that owns it, Rick, the guy that owns the place, he always has to make a phone is, call to bring in an expert on auto racing to get, tell you what the actual price would be. Something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Right. So I've always said, you know, you take it to a big-time charity event that's centered around the race, it's going to get more money for it. I think I have no idea. I've been told in the right setting, 10000 I think that's high, personally. But it's a moot point because I'll never sell it. But, you know, the funny thing is, with anything like that, when you look at it, it's, you know, it's the individual stories of how each signature was accumulated, you know, that kind of thing that makes it cool and makes it fun. And the one thing that was, well, there are a lot of things that were fun about it, but Jacques Villeneuve, who won the Indy 500 in his second outing in 95, then went on to won a Formula One World Championship. His father, Gilles Villeneuve, was a you know, Formula One star. Mm-hmm. Jacques Villeneuve was the one guy that I had really no interaction with because he was away from the scene. He came back to run Indy about five years ago, and I presented the helmet to him. And I was nervous is the wrong word, but I had no idea how he, you know, I had, I had no history with him. And I kind of figured he probably thought he was, you know, this big star. Jacques Villeneuve was the one guy, and there were probably 25 signatures at that point on the helmet. Jacques Villeneuve sat there with every single signature and asked me about every person that signed it and wanted to know the story of when they signed it, where they signed it. He, he, he sat there and held it for probably five minutes and was completely fascinated and thrilled by it, and I thought that was pretty cool. 
Awesome stuff, man. All right, so you're ready. So will Indy have how many spectators will they have? I know you don't know the answer, but I think that's, that's why we're waiting mm-hmm. until August. Do you think the Indy 500, when it's run in August, will have a full house or close to a full house? Man, that is such a difficult question because uh-huh. they would love to, and I know that they're going to do everything they can to have it accessible to fans. And at the same time, you know, you always have a large part of people that hold the 500 in such high regard are those that are of an older age that would be very cautious, and you wonder how that would affect the attendance. I also think there are a lot of people that will be itching to get out for a public event. Um, caution has to be considered. I mean, look, guys, I'm, I'm very cautious with all of this. I understand the risk that comes with it. I understand that there are a lot of unknowns. In a typical year, 225,000 people would be there, at probably at minimum, on race day. 100, 125, if considering the people that would be cautious about it or people that just decide that, you know, they don't want to travel, that, you know, maybe because it's not Memorial Day weekend, so they didn't get the weekend off or they hadn't scheduled it off. You know, there are a lot of factors that go into play there. I hope there are a lot of people there. And the reason I hope that, Tony, is not because I hold the event in such high regard, but because I know that that would mean that we as a country are getting back to a place where we can collectively get together Gather. in a healthy fashion yeah. and that we are putting it behind us. But there's a lot to, lot remains to be seen in the next three months. No, you're right. And the fact that that's in August, that would give the signal to college football, NFL mm-hmm. teams, if they could do that and pull it off, there'd be time to know Again, I don't think there's going to be 250,000 people. I think it's still too soon. Again, I'm not a doctor. But if they could put 100,000 people in and space them out. All right. Well, are they going through those kind of preparations right now, Jake? I would imagine they are, right? Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't, I'm not in those meetings, but obviously, you know, I, I talk or, or I hear, you know, things that are going on. There are all kinds of contingency plans. One of them would be if they feel that it's not safe to be elbow to elbow, there are contingency plans, I believe, to allow a limited number, to Tony's point, that would be then spaced out. Um, the possibility always exists of running it for NBC and not having fans. Um, you know, that's still on the table as well. Their preference, obviously, is to have people in the stands. But what number that would be and what number that would be capped at, those are certainly discussed, but nothing is concrete at this point. Good stuff. Jake, it was great to have you on. i got to give a shout-out to my intern guy who knows you there, the great Jake. The great Jake. The great Caleb. Well, I'm having problems with first names today. Caleb, Jake. I mean, they're pretty simple names. They are. Caleb, they're the young man similar. out there, IU graduate, and uh, working with us on the show as an intern from a distance. Although, if he wanted to come to Philly, he's welcome here. You're welcome here anytime. We'll go, we'll go drag racing down Delaware Avenue, <laughs> and we'll crank up. I'll get my 357 Chevy out there big block and we'll just start doing some street racing man and then say the hell with the with the pandemic let the cops chase us down the street and see if they can catch us hey i'll tell you what tony you're the mario andretti of sports talk radio you're not as old as he is but you hold the same legendary status so i'm thrilled to be on with you well thank you man i really appreciate that jake anytime thanks so much man appreciate the time good knowledge and good helmet there because we hate bad helmet harry you know that (laughs) i'm sorry you know i had to go there